You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Labor and Employment Attorney John Hyman came onto the podcast, and we talked about a whole bunch of different labor relations issues, but one of them was regarding a post he had written about union salts. Now, to set the stage a little bit, unless you've been completely asleep for the last six months or so, you're probably aware that there's been a lot more focus on unions these days. And in large measure, it's economically driven. We have a very, very tight labor market coming out of the pandemic. We have high inflation and we have a union friendly environment in both the media and in the administration. And the combination of all these factors is helping drive an uptick in union activity that we haven't seen in decades. And in some unions are striking, so, so to speak, while the iron's hot. And you should also expect this trend to continue at least until we have another recession. So ever since John and I did that episode, I've been thinking about doing one on union moles and union salts. And as I was supposed to be traveling this week, but ended up canceling the trip, this week seemed like the perfect time to do a deeper dive into how active union moles and salts appear to be these days and what they're doing to infiltrate workplaces. Now, I'm going to share a bunch of information with you that's out there, and as always, I'm going to put the links to the articles I'm sharing with you under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio. And I'm also going to share some anecdotal information with you because union salting or the planting of union moles into companies happens a lot more than people think, and frankly, it's something that unions don't really like to talk about that openly. And the reason for that is it's one of the most effective tools in their tool bag. So before we get too far into the topic, let's build the foundation brick by brick, and let's start by defining what we're talking about. What is the difference between a union salt and a union plant or a mole? Now, this gets a little bit nuanced because essentially the job of a union salt and a union mole are one and the same, and that is to unionize a company from within. That is their job. But there are a couple small differences in how they go about it. So the most commonly used term for a union planting a union organizer into a company is to salt, quote unquote, salt the workforce. Simply put, the salt's job is while working for the union to one, gather intelligence for the union. But because the National Labor Relations Board and the courts have deemed salting to be legal, the term spying wouldn't quite be accurate, but they do gather intelligence for the union. And number two is to convince his or her co-workers to unionize. Now, union salting has been a well-known tactic in the construction industry, and it's been around forever. In fact, according to an article written by Union Mole, James Walsh, in The Intelligencer back in 2016, quote, salting in some form or another has been around as long as organized labor. In the 1860s, the Rochester Trades Assembly began assembling, quote, agents to organize non-union construction jobs. 
Salts were leftists, Mexican immigrants, Jewish seamstresses, communists, and socialists. But as unions grew and added full-time staff organizers, the tactic's popularity waned, end quote. However, Walsh goes on to state, quote, Unite Here, one of the biggest service unions in the country, had revived the practice of salting, marketing it to young activists to organize hotels, casinos, and airports, workplaces owned by mega corporations hostile to unionization, end quote. Now, we'll come back to the other industries part of that in a few minutes, but let's stop for a moment and talk about the construction industry. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. As Walsh explained in his article, union salting has been around since at least the 1860s, right? Well, today, there's a couple ways that construction unions use salts. One is overt and the other is covert or underground, which is sometimes why the term mole is used. Now, the overt way is the 2018 case that John Hyman spoke about a couple weeks ago, a case called Aerotech where four members of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, or IBW, applied for jobs with a staffing agency called Aerotech. And their sole purpose for applying with Aerotech was to be placed on non-union construction companies or in non-union construction companies for the purpose of unionizing them. And according to the actual text of the case, quote, each resume stated in substance that the individual was active in the IBW and sought to organize work sites for the IBW, end quote. Well, long story short, when Aerotech didn't place the four on any jobs, but did place several other covert salts who didn't state their intent to unionize non-union jobs on their resumes, the IBW filed charges with the National Labor Relations Board for discriminating against the union salts. Now, because the case, which was filed in 2011 and didn't finish until 2019, it was a very long case. It gets a little bit convoluted and complicated, but long story short, Aerotech was found by the NLRB to have discriminated against the union salts. Now, the reason some of the portions of the case lasted as long as they did was the NLRB ordered back pay to the union salts, and there was some legal wrangling as to what was, what was the appropriate amount. So here are three big takeaways from the Aerotech example. Number one, Overt salting occurs when a union sends union salts into a non-union company and they openly state they're there to unionize that company. Or, in the case of Aerotech, sends union salts to a non-union staffing company for the express purpose of unionizing the staffing staffing company's non-union clients. That's number one. Number two, it's unlawful to discriminate against union salts, overt or covert. Number three, if a company is found to have discriminated against a union salt, the NLRB could order that company to pay back pay. So those are three big lessons. And by the way, the principles behind the Aerotech case are not new. They've been pretty consistent for a long time. So let me summarize this. A typical salt, at least in the construction industry, has historically been the overt type. That's where a union picks a target company that's hiring and then sends member organizers to the company and tells the company its intent. 
or in the case of Aerotech, a staffing company, and tells the staffing company its intent. The union salts show up, sometimes even in their union paraphernalia, their jackets, their t-shirts, their stickers, etc., and they say to the hiring company, we're from the union, you're hiring, and we want a job so we can unionize you. And if that happens and the company denies the union SALT's jobs, the SALT's can file unfair labor practices with the NLRB and the company at some point could be forced to pay back pay. Now, if there's a number of union SALT's that do this, say, for example, when a small or medium-sized construction company is staffing up for a large project, if they go in there, they try to SALT that company and the company denies them employment it could put a smaller, medium-sized company out of business, which is often the goal of construction unions. You see, oftentimes construction unions don't necessarily want new members. They want the work that the non-union competitors have. And if they can't unionize them, oftentimes they want them out of business. Let me give you a real-life example that happened many years ago. There's a director of organizing for one of the construction unions in one of the states in the Northeast. And I'm not going to give you his name nor the union, but I'm, I'm just, it's well known out there in that state. He used to go to the small mom and pop contractors. And when they had now hiring signs on their front door or they'd be advertising, he'd walk in and he'd have his jacket on and he'd say to them, I'm so-and-so from the union and I'd like a job. Well, invariably, what would happen is either the mom and pop or even the receptionist would naively say, well, we're non-union and we don't hire union people. So because there's a six-month statute of limitations, so to speak, with the National Labor Relations Board, the union organizer would typically wait several months, and then he'd go to the NLRB, and he'd file an unfair labor practice charge. And then the litigation would start. And some months later, sometimes years later, he would get a settlement check from the company that had been found discriminating against him because of his union organizer status. Now, if I recall, there were at least a couple years where this director of organizing almost doubled his income from the union just merely by salting, filing charges, and getting settlement checks. And some of you may be thinking right now, wow, that's so unfair. Well, it happens. Welcome to an inexpensive lesson in labor law. Thou shall not discriminate against people because of their union affiliation. So that's the overt way that unions salt non-union workplaces, being upfront about their intentions to unionize you. The covert way that unions often salt in the construction industry is to get apprentices just before they graduate apprenticeship, sort of like their final exam, to go out and get a job at the non-union company. And they work there for a few months, learning everything they can while reporting back to the union. And then they show up one day in their union t-shirts. And when this happens, it usually catches the non-union company off guard. But then they'll sometimes receive a letter from the union agent identifying the union salts and their intent to unionize the company and telling the company they need to respect the salts rights. Now, at that point, when those companies have been caught off guard, that's usually when they call their labor attorney and say, oh, crap. Salting, by the way, happens all the time in some states with certain unions in the construction industry. So a lot of companies are kind of familiar with it. Here's an example out of Scranton, Pennsylvania, of an IBEW local's salting policy. Quote, 
The local union determines who salts and where they salt. All salts must be trained prior to making the application to a non-union shop. After salting training, yes, they get trained on it. After salting training, if the member is a good fit as a salt, they must sign a salting agreement. The membership development representative will direct the salt as to where and when to apply, which may include non-union shops, non-union job sites, temporary agencies, like Aerotech, newspaper ads, online ads. Before you answer an ad for employment, you must first contact the membership development representative and he will tell you or he will let you know as to whether you can or cannot apply. End quote. Now, the union also warns, quote, if you are out working for a non-union contractor without the knowledge of the local business manager or sent out by the membership development representative, whether or not you took the salting class, you will be brought up on charges for working non-union, end quote. It goes on to quote the IBW's national policy on salting, which includes this. Quote, it is intended that salts shall work for the targeted non-union employer indefinitely until they are notified by the business manager that the organizing effort at the targeted employer has failed. If the organizing effort succeeds, it is intended that the salt will remain as a regular employee of the new signatory employer, end quote. So that's their job. It also states, only unemployed members or potential members, not full-time paid local union organizers or officers shall be salts. Salting is not a free ride to a paycheck from a rat contractor, end quote. Now, I should mention using apprentices to do covert salting in the construction trades oftentimes fails. And that's because all too often the, the young union salts usually have no idea what they're doing. And occasionally when the other non-union workers learn what their motivations are, they make the lives of the salts a living hell on the job. So oftentimes they wind up leaving. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Now, Let's move on to the next phase of planting union organizers into non-union companies. As we've discussed, union salting has been going on for a long, long time, most commonly in the construction industry. What's not often discussed or is widely known is union moles outside of the construction industry. A union mole is someone who quite literally goes to work in a company as an underground union organizer, thus the term mole. Typically, there is nothing on a union mole's resume or application indicating that they're working for a union. The reason for that is, in part, because they're often actually not union employees or union members. They're just cause-based, and sometimes they're students, sometimes they're activists, but they're not sometimes union members. They get the job just like anyone else does, They keep their head down, they learn the job, and for months, they never self-identify who they are to the company or, most importantly, to their co-workers. What they're doing that whole time is learning the people, their co-workers, i.e. profiling employees, their likes, their dislikes, the hot buttons, their families. They offer ride to their co-workers. Oftentimes, they get invited to parties or they hold parties. They're basically learning everything they can about the workplace. They're learning the employer's issues, what they are not doing so good on with regard to employee relations, and they're also mapping the organization out for their union handlers. They keep their heads down 
until it's time to start soliciting cards. And usually when that happens, they'll, they'll sometimes, you know, pop up and they'll be like, Hey, we've got all these issues. Let's call a union. Or why don't we get a union that could help us? Or, Hey, we should get on this Facebook group. I saw on Facebook last night, or sometimes they'll start their own Facebook groups. Sometimes union molds will out themselves, but a lot of times they don't. Sometimes union molds will come in as interns into like HR or some other department and they're not actually working the floor. When they're in as HR, for example, as either a temp or an intern, you know what they have access to? Employee contact information. And you know what else companies do to make it easier for union molds, by the way? They leave employee call sheets with telephone numbers and email addresses on supervisors' desks or on bulletin boards in a manager's office. And you know, everyone these days has a camera on their phone and it is not uncommon for union moles to grab employee information and send it to their union handlers with the press of a button. And companies oftentimes make it really easy for them to do that. So let me give you an example. Here's how James Walsh explained his role as a union salt or mole in Unite Here in South Florida back in his 2016 Intelligencer piece. Quote, as a salt, my job first was to gather basic intelligence on the workplace, lists of coworkers' names, work shifts, cranky managers, and second, to identify potential leaders and get to know them. When a union organizer went to recruit that leader, most of whom were women, to the union committee, the organizer would do so armed with the intel I provided. To this end, I hung out with as many co-workers as possible. I went to batting cages, bowling, and New Age Nishirian Buddhism retreat center. I learned to cook chicken curry and griot, a Haitian pork dish. I learned about co-workers' bad backs, unfaithful spouses, and strange tattoos. End quote. Folks, this is not a new phenomenon. Let me give you another example. Quote, this is not Norma Ray, Mark, the organizing director, told me. You're not there to rile people up. Stay quiet, blend in as best you can, and keep your ears open. If someone mentions anything about a union, don't say anything. If the campaign is a go, we might put you on the management's anti-union committee. Anything can happen. Be prepared to be bored. Pretty soon you'll forget that you're anything but a Kmart worker. End quote. Now, that excerpt was from a Salon.com article entitled, I Was a Union Mole at Kmart. And do you know when that was written? In 2001 more than 20 years ago. Now, let me get to one that is much more recent and constantly in the news these days. This is a Bloomberg article from April 2nd, 2022, and it's entitled Amazon Warehouse Workers Just Redefined What is Possible for U.S. Labor. And it followed the Amazon Labor Union's victory in Staten Island at the beginning of April. Connor Spence, the ALU's vice president of membership, says the union's campaign was, quote, boosted by management's recent missteps, such as calling the police when Smalls came to drop off food for workers in the parking lot and announcing the dress code would be tightened so workers would have to start wearing approved safety shoes from the Amazon subsidiary Zappos. And here's the key. The effort was also buoyed by a number of of newer employees who specifically got hired at the warehouse in the hopes of helping the union win, end quote. 
So in other words, the ALU and their allies were buoyed by Union salts. However, people like Josh Idleston, who wrote the Bloomberg piece, and others in the Union echo chamber media, they don't like to use the term Union salts or Union moles because, frankly, that hurts the pro-Union narrative that the ALU won at Amazon all by themselves, and it implies that the Union had help, which it did. You see, Even though today's union echo chamber media wants to downplay or doesn't want to expose salts or moles, there's one who has gotten a lot of media attention since the ALU won its election. And her name is Justine Medina. And she is all over the media in pictures. She's had pictures with AOC, with Chris Smalls. And she's also been quoted a number of times, as well as she penned a post on People's World where she exposed the hundreds of Communist Party USA members who helped do phone banking for the Amazon labor union in the weeks leading up to the Amazon election. Now, according to Salon.com, quote, Justine Medina is 32 years old and has been working at the JFK 8 warehouse since September, first as a counter, then as a packer. Medina, who is a member of the Communist Party and chair of the New York Young Communist League, and here's the important part, started working as a salt, which means she became a worker at the warehouse to help with the union effort, end quote. So, as you can see, the practice of union salting or planting molds in non-union companies is alive and well, and it's currently going on with Amazon. But let's go back a few years, about eight years ago. Back in 2014, Jane Slaughter wrote an interesting piece on labor notes where she stated, quote, former SALT Kendra Baker says SALTing offers something the labor movement badly needs, a space for young people to develop skills as workplace organizers. The 2011 uprising in Wisconsin and the Occupy movement created a lot of curiosity and enthusiasm about the labor movement, she said. Now, coordinating a SALTing program, she stresses that SALTing ensures a union drive will have the, quote, a workplace organizing component to maintain a level of militancy on the shop floor and make sure the campaign is putting the workers first. Workers should be taking a lead on the messaging and on the goals and planning the actions. Salts these days tend to be young people who are activists in college, Slaughter writes, the same sort of folks many unions recruit to be staff organizers, end quote. So if you've been watching the Amazon and Starbucks campaigns, that last statement should make some light bulbs go off. Now, as I said earlier, I'm putting the links to everything I'm quoting from or referring to under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio, including this Labor Notes article. And if you read nothing else I'm providing the links to, you should read that one. Slaughter goes on to write, quote, Salts reported not a lot of trouble getting jobs they were overqualified for, particularly where turnover is constant, end quote. Now, let's turn back to Amazon for a minute, where, according to Chris Small, Chris Smalls, the uh, ALU president, turnover at that Amazon warehouse in Staten Island is 150%. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but that's what he stated in the media. Now, remember, a place like Amazon, where it's extremely fast-paced and physical and has a lot of turnover, is the perfect place for union salts or moles. You see, a lot of the union salts are college-age kids, 
And some of them may still be in school. Others may have already graduated. But most often, they're ideologically driven. And sometimes they wear their politics on their sleeves or with their piercings or tattoos or or dyed hair. But often they do not. They're usually undetectable. And by the way, for those of you listeners who don't know what I look like, um, when I mention piercing, tattoos, and dyed hair, I'm not being a judgmental boomer, by the way. Um, I'm not judging people by their appearance. I actually have two out of the three things I just mentioned. Now, the next question you may be asking, are, are union moles or salts being paid by the unions? And the answer to that is sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. So many years ago, a client that had a union mole in its workforce for nearly two years, and this is real life example, found out that over the course of the two years, the union that had been trying to unionize that, that particular facility had paid the union mole around $40,000. So sometimes you'll, you'll find a union mole on the union's financial reports. Often it's after the facts. And more often than not, you don't find them. According to Slaughter, again, Quote, one union offered assault $15 an hour for the time he spent applying for jobs 15 hours a week for up to three months. Any of that time not actively spent looking for work, he helped out on other projects. Another union offers small stipends meant to cover extra costs, gas to meetings, for example. A third paid assault whose job offered very few hours, $15 an hour for eight hours a week to assist as a staff organizer. The combination was still far less than a living wage. Most pay no stipend once the salt is on the job. One union, though, subsidized salts on a low-wage job at $125 a week, end quote. Now, unfortunately, most employers don't uncover union moles or salts until the union is filed for an election, which, if the National Labor Relations Board eliminates elections through the Joy Silk Doctrine, which we've talked about, means that union moles will be able to go in, undermine and unionize a company without ever exposing him or herself, because, as Slaughter writes, quote, unions insist the salt maintain strict secrecy, end quote. And quite frankly, there may not be any elections in the future. So by now you might be asking, what's an employer to do? Well, the first thing is don't panic. You see, a lot of employers freak out when they learn they've been salted or they discover they've got a mole in their midst. Um, you don't want to panic. You, you probably want to have a labor attorney helping you. But over the years, I've worked with a lot of construction companies who aren't afraid of union salts at all. When they apply, they schedule them for their skills testing, just like they do all other applicants. If the salts happen to pass their skills test, which sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, they'll assign them work just like they do every other new hire. Sometimes they don't show up for the jobs. But in any case, treat them just like you would anybody else. Now, the key to those companies' success is that they know their employees. They regularly communicate with their employees and their spouses for things like benefits. And these are construction companies. And their employees know that if there's an issue, the company will fix it. So years ago, a client shared with me that he had been covertly salted, and i.e., he didn't know that the guy was a salt, but he had been covertly salted years earlier. And after a while on the job, the salt asked for a meeting with the owner. And when the salt sat down, he told the owner why he had gotten the job there, which was obviously to unionize him. However, 
he liked working with the company so much that he wanted help to resign from the union so he could stay on with the company. And that's because that company had built a culture that made the salt ineffective as a salt. So the first thing you should do is create a culture in your company that makes it so that a salt or a mole can't get any traction with your employee. Remember the adage, staying union free is more about being issue free. The second thing you should do, and this is going to become much more vitally important as the NLRB moves towards eliminating secret ballot elections, is you need to inoculate your employees to union tactics. And that includes union moles and union salts. Make it part of your new hire orientation and then keep it as part of your routine employee relations maintenance. In other words, you want to continually have a what we refer to as a constant campaign going, and that is education, that is talking to employees. There's a lot of proactive things you can do and probably should be doing to ensure that you're not susceptible to being salted or having a mole planted in there. And if you want more tips, let me know. Be happy to share them with you. But in any case, now you know a little bit more about how union salting works and how moles operate. And I could share a lot more stories with you from over the years, but I thought a basic primer would be helpful because as the union activity activity is starting to finally pick up after decades, uh, unions appear to be returning to their tried and true practices, including planting moles and salts into companies. Well, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List, and if you want to reach out, you can leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode, reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report, that's at Workplace RPT, or give us a call at 1 888 668 6466. That's 1-888-668-6466. And remember, if you like Labor Relations Radio or laborunionnews.com, please share it with your colleagues and have them subscribe so they can get the information in their email boxes. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. 